0: Well, good morning, Christchurch Midland. Uh, What a joy it is to meet together uh, this morning around God's Word and sing together. Um, It is such a great joy. I do hope that you have your heaters on, uh, you have your coffee in hand as we prepare to watch the service um, together. Uh, Just to say a special welcome to all the dads and a happy Father's Day to you. I hope that you will get spoiled today. And that you would enjoy this uh, special Father's Day. Um, if you are a young person, uh, you'd know that we were commemorating, or everyone will know that we are commemorating Youth Day uh, this past Tuesday. Uh, and so later on, we'll be watching a video of Clayton Peters and uh, Kate Arenstein as they uh, look back at the events of June the 16th uh, and how they have an impact on us um, today. So we are excited that you can join us. Uh, And we do hope that you will enjoy um, our service. Uh, Just to let you know that at 10 o'clock, the teens will have uh, their sermon premiering on our YouTube channel. So if you are a teenager, please uh, go uh, um, to find our video uh, and you can watch uh, it from there. I'm just going to pray for us uh, as we start off our time together. So please bow your heads wherever you are and join me in praying. Uh, Father, thank you for your goodness Uh, Thank you for this opportunity to meet um, and your provision of technology uh, that we can gather together uh, like this. Uh, So we do pray, Father, that you'd be with us and that you'd stir up our hearts to love Jesus more and to draw closer to you. Uh, Through his name we pray. Amen.
1: I believe in the risen one I believe I owe
2: Do you know that all the dark worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, he is David's rule. throne, the Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, he is through the old and lamb who died to ransom the slave, from every people and shrine.
3: Those in authority and in need. Almighty God who rules over the nations of the world, we commend to you your merciful care, the people of this land, that being guided by your providence, we may dwell secure in your peace. Grant to the State President and all in authority, wisdom and strength to know and to do your will. Fill them with a the love of truth, justice, righteousness, that they may serve your people faithfully to your honour and glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. need, almighty merciful Father, you have told us not to think of ourselves only, but to remember the needs of others. We pray for all in want or need, for the sick in body or mind, for the poor and lonely, for those in distress and despair, for all who have strayed from your way. Merciful Lord, deliver them, strengthen them, and restore their faith. Bless and help them. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, thank you that we are able to meet as a church family. Please open our hearts and minds to your word while we listen to the sermon today. I ask that you bless all our leaders in authority. I pray for their salvation. I pray for their wisdom to make wise and godly decisions. I pray that you give them integrity to be above approach in their daily walk. I pray they are a godly example to those they serve and lead. I pray for all those in need, as there are so many people struggling in the world at this time. Help everybody whom this pandemic has affected, whether it be a loss of life, a loss of business, a loss of job, loss of income, loss of freedom, just to do the things without restriction, a meal for all the starving mouths in the world, a job for all those who are in need so they are able to provide for their families. For those who are struggling with depression or anxiety, help all, all those who are being abused and oppressed. For all the underprivileged people that need your help, help us trust the plan you have for us. It is easy to focus on our earthly needs and wants and stray from your path. Keep us focused on you and your word daily so we can grow in knowledge and wisdom of your word. Also in this week, let us remember those who lost their lives on the 16th of June 1976. Heal the pain of those still struggling with the loss of a loved one. Help all those involved To reconcile their differences and forgive each other the wrongs they committed we ask this all in your name amen
4: our gracious heavenly father we thank you that through the saving work of our lord jesus christ we have become adopted into the redeemed family of god today we celebrate father's day we want to especially pray for all the fathers in our church family our nation and throughout the world. Fathers have a challenging and formidable task as you have appointed them to be the leader within their family. We pray for fathers who are unemployed. Please help them to find work so that they can provide for their families. We pray for children who no longer have a dad. Be a father to them and comfort them we especially think of those children in the orphanage in Hillbrow. Be with Noel Bowers as he acts as a spiritual father to them. We pray for those fathers who have become estranged from their families. May the father realize his responsibilities and try to be reconciled to his loved ones. We pray for those fathers who see very little of their family due to their workload May they find a way to spend more time with their family. We think of fathers who have become single parents due to the death of the wife. Give them the wisdom and strength as they care for their children and learn to be more dependent on your help at all times. We think of families where the father is not a believer. Give to them the gift of repentance and faith. May fathers instruct their children in your word. May they be generous, approachable, show love and goodwill, so their children one day will say, I had a good father. And then, O Lord, we know what a wonderful father you are to us. And therefore we pray, lead us, heavenly father, lead us. o'er this world's tempestuous sea, guard us, guide us, keep us, feed us. For we have no help but Thee, yet possessing every blessing, if our God our Father be. Amen.
5: Good day, everyone. It is my greatest pleasure to be praying for us today on Father's Day. I hope that you all have great plans to celebrate this day and that we also remember and think about those that are less fortunate, those that may not have much to eat or place to stay. Let's think about those that may be going through the most during these testing times. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father, thank you that we are alive and we are together with our loved ones during this lockdown period. We ask that you be with those that are not able to be with their families and loved ones. Thank you that you have gifted the country with a thoughtful, multidisciplined leadership team that was fast on its feet in jumping into action in the decision to lock down the country in an effort to flatten the curve. We're most thankful that you've kept us safe from the, com- from the infectious COVID-19 pandemic. We pray that you be with those who have sick family members. We're thankful that we've been able to spend most needed time with our families. We ask, dear Father, that you continue to look after us as the country resumes with its economic activities. Walk with our children as they start to return to school and bless their teachers who are tasked with looking after them. Father God, thank you that you've strengthened the resolve of our essential services workers, especially our healthcare workers who, are against all odds, never tired and never gave up. We pray that you help us to remember that our role as fathers is to protect our families, more specifically our wives, children, sisters, mothers, and aunts. Help us to stand strong against our destructive tendencies that cause us to harm and hate our spouses. Help us to know and to always remember that we are imperfect and that as sinners we may come to you for your forgiveness, as you are most gracious, that we will always need your guidance, even when we think we are right or when we think that we know better. We always need your grace and yet we seem to never prioritize your word as we should in prayer. We always second-guess you when we try and take decisions that are self-serving. We go against your will when we abuse our positions as protectors and providers. We always want to take easy decisions and ignore that we are called to live in keeping with Christ's example. Our human nature distracts us from living good and obedient lives. Lives that bring us happiness and purpose. Lives that are fulfilling and immersed with Christ-like meaning. We want to come to you, Father God, and know that we are forgiven for all our sinful indiscretions. We want to be your children and live like Christ. We want to become yours as you've proclaimed yourself to be our Father. We want to follow you without fear or doubt. We want to present ourselves to you in a way that you want us to be. Today we celebrate Father's Day in the midst of what we read and hear about the pains that we cause our families. As we celebrate this day, be with us and help us to know the wrong things that we do. Teach us to know to come to you to seek your help. And to not be despondent about our roles as fathers, about our purpose of being heads of our families. Teach us to remember that we can be better fathers, that you have given us our spouses to help us in our duties. Father God, help us to be brave and to be indignant towards abuse to speak up where we see the wrong done by our brothers. Help us to accept that being corrected is not a bad thing, especially when we are doing wrong. Help us to care and support one another as men so that we may be a nation that cares for our roles as heading and protecting our families. Be with those of us that may be out of work and finding it challenging to provide for our families. Help us that we don't become despondent and turn against our families as we may be feeling frustrated, that we can look past our current situations. We, you have taught us that we must always look to you when we are lost, that we must come to you when we are thirsty, that we must turn you, turn to you and not stray towards our sinful ways. We need you now more than we have ever done before, dear God during these challenging and unprecedented times. We ask for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
6: Hi, everyone. My name is Kate. I'm a staff member at Christchurch Midrand. And with me is Clayton Peters. He is one of our long-standing members at the church. And we are celebrating, as you know, Youth Month this month of June, Clayton. And the sixteenth of June, nineteen seventy-six, was a momentous day in our history. You're obviously far too young to remember, but uh, what emotions are evoked in you from that uh, particular day?
7: Yeah, thanks, Kate. Uh, you know, there's uh, various feelings and emotions uh, that come up on this day, but I think the two main things is, uh, you know, the one of pain because I've I've had many friends comrades who were leaders of the student movement in 1976, heard their stories, and of course, being a a student and youth leader in the 80s, experienced many of the things that the 76th generation got to experience on that day, during the state of emergency and student protests. Uh, And so, you know, those raw feelings of pain uh, are still there. But yet it's counterbalanced by uh, feelings of uh, hope for the future as well as, you know, the fact that uh, young people took a stand for something that was right. Although history uh, at that particular time, uh, you know, said it was wrong. Uh, But yet over the course of the decades after that, they were proved to be right. So, you know, it shows us the power of young people, the Mm. voice that they have, and how that voice can be amplified and how change can happen in society as a result of what that 76th generation triggered.
6: So it is good that we celebrate Youth Month and um, we are 26 years old as a democratic country. Um, Any reflections on that Uh, someone of colour? Um, how, how looking back and looking forward, what does it bring up in your mind?
7: So I think that we've made a lot of democratic gains in the country and uh, speaking from uh, the sp- perspective of youth development as someone who's been intrinsically involved in that both at a, you know, at a non-governmental and governmental level, I think we've created many, many opportunities for young people, but we haven't done enough and in some Respects, we failed young people and uh, we failed uh, to give them opportunities for education, for employment. Uh, I think as the church as well, we failed young people because we haven't given them uh, enough leadership opportunities. We haven't amplified their voice within churches and still to a large extent, our churches reflect, uh, you know, uh, an ageist perspective. Young people are uh, often like children, you know, uh, seen and not heard. Uh, and so we haven't created those spaces, uh, you know, for young people to come with their vibrant uh, interpretation of the gospel, of evangelism, of discipleship. We haven't given them those kinds of spaces. And I hope that, you know, uh, over the next years and decades, we're able to tap into the power of young people because. I think social movements around the world have tapped into that power. They, they can see that young people can bring about change when their voices are amplified. But I think to a large extent as a church, we haven't tapped into that power of young people and, and, and amplified their voices and, and allowed them to bring a vibrancy to our churches and to our gospel life.
6: And lastly, um, Clayton, we are people who are vastly different. Um, you are male, I'm female. You are black, I'm white. Uh, you are young, I'm old. Um, what hope do we have at living at peace? What is the hope?
7: Yeah, well, I think my beard gives me away. I can I mean, uh, I think we're both old. Uh, look, the hope that we have is is not temporal. You know, mm. so as much as protest movements. Uh, as much as, uh, uh, you know, the things that we try on earth uh, to do to bring about change, that's important and we must continue doing that. You know, ultimately our hope is eternal and our hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what unites us. Uh, that's, uh, that's actually the glue that should force us and compel us and motivate us to bring about change, you mm-hmm. know, uh, that we see, uh, or that is needed in South Africa, that is needed in our societies, mm-hmm. that is needed in our community of Midrim and beyond. And so it is that hope that we find in Jesus Christ that gives us uh, a reason for being, gives us a reason for living, uh, gives us, uh, you know, this passion for wanting to live and build his kingdom. It's that hope that should compel us to do things around us that, uh, you know, make a difference in our communities.
6: Mm-hmm. Thanks, Clayton. Um, So that's just a a short few musings about the youth, youth month, and obviously the ultimate hope that we have, which is in Christ. Um, So thank you for listening. Um, Enjoy youth month. If you're not a youth, uh, enjoy it anyway, um, and uh, we'll catch you the next time round. Thank you.
0: Well, good morning once again, Christchurch Midrand. I hope you've been enjoying our service uh, so far. Uh, I just have a family, a, a few family news to bring to our attention uh, concerning some of the exciting stuff that's happening in the life of our church. Um, the first thing is, if you're joining us for the very first time, you want to connect and join the family, um, uh, at the bottom of the screen, there's a list of live group leaders uh, that you can get in touch with uh, and then join one of our coffee sessions Straight after the service. So please uh, click on the links below uh, and go and check out and connect with one of our live group uh, leaders. Um, Just the big thing that's exciting that's happening starting next week um, is our Outreach Week. Uh, Outreach Week is a time where we uh, get to engage with the mission of Jesus and Christ Church Midran to make disciples who make disciples. Uh, we have two amazing speakers, Jomam uh from KZN and Bishop uh, Glenn Lyons from Cape Town uh, that are going to be sharing God's Word uh, with us. Uh, so this is an opportunity for you to invite family members uh, and to engage people who are normally uh, not engaged with, uh, with Jesus. So here's a couple of things that you can do. One is that you can pray for Outreach Week. Uh, pray for three people. Uh, that you want to share the gospel with Uh, and pray that God will give you the courage um, to reach out to them. So that's the first thing, pray. The other thing is that you can invite people to either Christianity Explored, and Kate is going to speak about that uh, on on a video uh, later, Uh, Christianity Explored or one of our services. Um, So you can invite somebody. You can also host a watch party on Facebook, and Gareth is, uh, has shared a video on our Facebook that explains how one um, does a, a watch party. Uh, so you can invite people um, to one of the this, uh, this services. Um, the other thing is that you can perhaps run a, uh, an online book club, and we have a link to a free resource by Christianity Explored. Uh, that has uh, key questions uh, that are answered uh, concerning the Christian faith. So you can call somebody uh, and tell them, hey, why don't you read uh, with me uh, for this next couple of weeks? Uh, we encourage you to do that. The other thing is that maybe you can uh, run a Q&A session or a grill a Christian with one of our staff members. Whatever we do, we need to get this gospel um, out there. Uh, now we're going to watch um, a video where Kate explains Uh, about what Christianity Explored uh, is.
6: Morning, everyone. My name is Kate Orenstein. I'm the women's worker here at Christchurch Midrand. And um, I just want to do an advert for Christianity Explored that will be starting after our Outreach Sundays. So the 28th of June and the 5th of July, we are going to be deliberately having services that are trying to reach out to those who don't know who Jesus is. Um, and after that, we will start with Christianity Explored. Many of you have gone through that course with Tian and others, and we will be running it via Zoom on starting on Sunday, the 12th of July at 5.30 p.m. All the details will be on the website, on church at home. And the idea is to explore how Jesus answers questions, and especially thinking of the questions that COVID-19 has thrown at us. What does Jesus say about my physical health? What about my independence and autonomy? And of course, what does he say about my wealth? So make use of this opportunity, please, to invite your friends to join you at Christianity Explored. It's a great way of reaching our two, our friends, our family members, and our colleagues. The time is now. All our information will be available on Christchurch Midrand website, and um, I would encourage you, please, to have a look to pray for people and to um, invite them to join us at Christianity Explored. Thank you very much. Good morning, church. My name is Kate Orenstein, and I'm the women's worker here at CCM. Um, I want to thank God for his provision for us, for all that we have. Um, And just to remind us that as a Christian, we are compelled to give our whole being to the advancement of God's kingdom and to gospel work. So one thing COVID-19 has helped me is to prioritize what is really important. Uh, what really matters and I think many of us have been having those conversations with ourselves. Um, Gospel work matters and things of eternity really matter. So it's a challenge this morning for us to think about our resources and what we're doing with our resources. Uh, Gospel work is still happening here at CCM and if you consider yourself part of uh, the redeemed family of servants who are on mission, please keep giving financially. And if you are new to us, if you've just joined us at Church at Home, please consider giving. There are various uh, formats; uh, they'll appear on the screen um, during this um, during this time. So please have a look at that, and uh, yeah, please consider giving to the work here at Christchurch Midrand. Uh, enjoy the rest of the service. Thank you very much. Good morning. The
8: reading this morning is taken from Hebrews chapter four Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given the rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall short by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of God.
9: Morning, everybody. Won't you join me in a word of prayer? Father, uh, we want to hear you. Speak to us today, we have no right to hear you. But by the mercy you've shown us, the grace you've shown us in your Son, you invite us close. And we pray now, Lord, that we will avail ourselves, that we will have ears to hear, and that we will be changed by what it is you have to say to us. So please, Lord, will you be speaking in the power of your Spirit through your word? And uh, by the saving sacrifice of your son. Amen. Rest is a curious thing. It seems the harder we try to get it, the more it evades us. When we are working, all we want in life is a little time at home with the family. Now that we are at home with the family all the time, we couldn't be more restless. You wait all year to go home to Limpopo in December or to the beach the beachfront at Derb's, to see the extended family. But by the beginning of January, you are gagging to get back to work for a little bit of rest. It's a strange thing, rest. For some, rest is a weekend of loud music and partying. For others, rest is a silent retreat. For some, it's just pure adrenaline. For others, it's a hot bath and a good novel. We look for rest all over the place. We will try anything, everything. We think the rich and famous have a wonderful life. All that rest. But you have to ask, why do they keep killing themselves? If they're so rested and relaxed, why do they keep turning up as another tragic celebrity obituary? So it seems there is no rest in work, but there's no rest in leisure either. The wise man in Ecclesiastes picks up on this theme. He describes work like this. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after the wind. And then later on, he says the following. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's no rest in work. All my work was vanity and striving after the wind. There's no rest in leisure. The full stomach of the rich man will not let him sleep. Where then is the rest? Our passage this morning is inviting us to enter into rest. And it's going to tell us what rest is. And how we get it. But first let's just follow the logic of the argument. The writer to the Hebrews makes his basic point in verses 1, 2, and 11. So you can look there and see his basic point. The good news, this is it, the good news of a promised rest came to Israel. They didn't combine that good news with faith and therefore they didn't enter into that rest. The same good news came to the Hebrews. They didn't combine that good news with faith. Well, that was the warning. They must combine it with faith, or they too will not enter the rest. That is the warning the writer to the Hebrews is giving his people. The same good news comes to us. We must combine it with faith, or we will not enter into his rest. That's the main idea. And once again, it comes to us in the form of a warning, as it so often does in the book of Hebrews. The warning is in verse 1 Let us fear. Lest any of you fail to reach this rest. Just an aside, remember, we have to remember the warnings are not there to rob you of your assurance or to make you doubt your salvation. They are one of the many, many means that God uses to keep us, to keep us going to the end. And that's why we need to hear them and we need to take them seriously. We need to combine them with faith. When the writer has once again invited his readers into this rest, he then goes on a little tour of rest in the Bible. So he hits all the high water marks. He starts in Genesis. That's uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 4. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. The point that the writer is making is that the offer of rest has been available right from the very beginning of creation. But humanity has consistently rejected this offer. And with a hard heart, we have refused to combine it with faith. The writer reminds his reader that the same was true of the Israelites under Moses. And so they did not enter his rest. They died in the wilderness. Their bodies fell in the desert. And yet the promise still stands. We read about it centuries later in Psalm 95, where God invites his people to enter into rest today, as long as it is called today. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 7, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, someone might have argued But the Israelites did enter into God's rest under Joshua. And so we have verse 8 because the writer anticipates this argument. We have verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Even though they did enter into the land under Joshua, they didn't enter into God's rest. And we know this to be true. How do we know? Well, what comes after the book of Joshua in the Bible? It's the book of Judges. Now, we've recently done a series in Judges, I think in the last 18 months or so. We wouldn't, those of you who were with us for that series, we would not describe what goes on in the book of Judges with the word rest. That's not the word we would use. We wouldn't use the word faith either. Entering into the land clearly did not guarantee entering into God's rest. And so the invitation stood. The promise was not yet fulfilled. That's why verse 8, God could speak of it later on through David in Psalm 95. So this is the flow of the argument. I hope you've been with me. The good news of an invitation into God's rest has been proclaimed since the creation of the world, since the very beginning. But people have failed, consistently failed to combine that promise with faith. Israel under Moses failed. Israel under Joshua failed. Israel under David failed. In every generation, God was still inviting them into rest and warning them not to harden their hearts. The conclusion the writer wants his readers to draw is that the invitation and the warning still stand today, as long as it is called today. His original readers had to combine the promise with faith, and so do we and because in these last days God has spoken by his Son, our faith is to be in Christ, when Moses and Joshua failed, Christ is the one who will give us true and lasting rest. Jesus is better, and the Jesus and the rest that Jesus offers is better. Two questions we want to answer, two very practical questions. What is this rest and how do we enter into it? What is rest? We've already made the point that it is part of the universal human condition to look for rest, to pursue rest, and so far it has evaded us. You look at the world today, just consider the world outside your living room. And then consider your own heart at times. It's hardly a picture of rest, is it? And yet, we all know we want it. We all know that we need it. We are trying everything we can think of. We are swallowing and spending and working and playing and exercising and protesting. All toward the goal of rest. But it just won't come. And when it does come, it just won't last. Economists call this, they actually have a name for it, the fact that when rest arrives, it just won't last. They call this the law of diminishing marginal utility. The more you consume of anything, the less it satisfies. So this block of chocolates, while it gives me some satisfaction, gives me slightly less satisfaction than the previous one. Initially, if we are enjoying rest, it might feel like rest. But the further you go in whatever it is that is offering you rest, the further you go, the less it satisfies. Until what once gave you rest now leaves you restless. We don't know anything. We don't know of anything. That defies the law of diminishing marginal utility. We haven't found it yet. That's the human condition. Thanks be to God that he doesn't leave us as we are, that he speaks to us and changes us through his word. Somewhere he has spoken of the seventh day like this, That somewhere is in Genesis. Genesis 1 ends with these words. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Genesis chapter 2 opens like this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God rests. That rest is a divine mystery. But we do need to try and understand what it means because we are made in God's image. And so our rest will have something to do with God's rest. Our rest will will relate by some analogy. To God's rest. What does it mean to say that God rests? It can't mean that He's tired or exhausted or spent. God is almighty. There is no end to His power. He is infinite in power. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He only had to speak and the universe came into existence. Rest can't mean that He's tired. What does it say? Genesis 1 and 2. It says he saw what he had made and it was very good. It says he finished his work and so he rested. That word finished in the original is a clue for us. It can have the sense of everything coming together for an intended purpose. It seems the purpose of creation was for God to enjoy what he had made. That's what the language of blessing and holy and very good points us to. The language we read of in the end of Genesis chapter 1, at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, blessing, holy, very good. It's pointing us to the fact that the purpose of creation was for God to enjoy what he'd made. And that was his rest. The mirror image of God's rest would be for us to cease from our work and enjoy our creator. If that's true, if that's what rest is, well, then it's no surprise that Moses was promised rest when he led the people out of Egypt. It's no surprise that the Sabbath became the symbol of the whole Sinai covenant. Or that God calls the promised land the land of rest. It's no surprise that the gift David gave to his people is called rest. It's no surprise that Solomon was known as the man of rest, or that the temple was labeled the resting place of God. Nor is it surprising that when the prophets wanted to speak a word of judgment on Israel, they spoke about the loss of rest. Rest at its heart is about our relationship with God. That's what the Sabbath the rest of Sabbath and promised land and temple are pointing us to. It's about putting aside all distraction, all anxiety, and acknowledging our dependence on our creator, our provider, our redeemer, delighting in him. That's rest. There's rest and there's work. God works, and so we work. He commanded us to work, to exercise dominion over creation. But that work has a purpose and a goal, to delight in the creator. If we don't cease from our work, if we don't lift our eyes to worship the creator, we start to live under the illusion that we exist, we only exist in and for creation. That the horizontal relationships are all that matter that there is no vertical, that we are somehow independent. That is why our work and our rest cannot give us rest. Because true rest is only found in delighting in God, in being utterly satisfied in him. The thing you've been looking for your whole life, you will only find in him. He alone breaks the law of diminishing marginal utility. The more you have of him, the more satisfied you will be in him. If that's rest, how do we get it? Well, before we answer that question, we need to pay some attention to the timeline presented here in Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 3, just have a look there it's clear that those who have already believed have entered into God's rest. In verse 9, there is still a rest celebration, a Sabbath rest for the people of God to come. In verse 10, it says, let us strive to enter that rest. So in the past, we entered into God's rest. In the future, we will enter into God's rest. In the present, we must strive to enter into God's rest. We must work to rest sounds confusing what is this work what is this striving in the present we know from the whole of chapter three and from this chapter chapter four our striving our work our struggle is the struggle against unbelief against hardness of heart it is the struggle for faith our work is for faith Now, if that sits slightly awkwardly with you, I'll speak speak more to it in just a moment. Just bear with me. How do we do this work? How can we work for rest? A few tips. God has built rest into the very fabric of creation. Let me ask you a strange question. What is nighttime? We've just read about it in Genesis 1 and 2. The day ended, there was evening, and there was morning. What is this transition? What is nighttime? Why do we move from day into night with such regular, orderly intervals? Why did God make it that way? Could it be that he places our world, he regularly places our world into a state of rest, to remind us to rest regularly. We need to use that natural physical rest to remind us of the deepest, deeper rest, which is delight in God. So at the end of every day, at the beginning of each new day, let the natural rhythm, the natural rest, point you to the deeper rest. Mark the change. It's morning. It's evening. Mark the change. Use it for fellowship with God, every evening, every morning. Just be in his presence. Listen for his voice in his word. Speak to him in prayer. Worship him in song. Rest every day. Rest. Then there is rest every week. You know, since the earliest days of the church, every Sunday has been considered the Lord's day. The Lord's day. That was the day on which Jesus rose to his rest. Christians have always used it to gather and to delight in the Lord, to rest. Now, come Sunday, any given Sunday, you may be very tired. It's the end of the work week. It's actually the beginning of the new week. But you've gone Monday through Saturday. You may be exhausted. Going to church or walking down the passage to take your seat on the couch for church at home may feel a lot like work. To you at that point in time. That is a sure sign that you need to go. You need to go and find rest for your soul. You need to draw refreshment from delighting in God again. You need to draw energy and encouragement from his people. Use Sunday, every Sunday as a reminder to enter into his rest week by week. So that's resting every day and resting every week. Finally, we need to rest every year. Use the seasons. Use the church calendar. Use Christmas and Easter and Advent and Ascension Day and Outreach Week and Mission Week and Celebration Sunday and so on. Use the rhythm of the year to rest in God, to find delight in God. You know, we should delight in the incarnation every single day. But Christmas is a wonderful reminder. We should weep at the foot of the cross and rejoice in the resurrection every single day, but Easter helps to concentrate the heart and the mind. Use, what are we saying? Very simple. Use the rhythm of the day, the rhythm of the week, and the rhythm of the year to help you rest, to help you delight in God. Just a few practical tips. But by now, I'm sure you are very aware that tips and techniques are not enough. They're not enough. Tips and techniques are never going to get you to the Sabbath rest celebration at the end. No amount of spiritual discipline will get you there. Israel didn't just have tips and techniques and disciplines. They had the law of God Almighty. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Such was the hardness of their hearts. Such is the hardness of the human heart. They simply couldn't combine the promise of rest with faith. They couldn't do it. Where are we going to get the faith? How are we any different? Isn't it staggering when you stop to think about it? That Jesus, the son of Joseph, the builder's son, the blue-collar man from nowhere, he took God's Old Testament promise of rest onto his own lips. It's staggering if you think about it. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I mean, it's audacious. God has been promising you rest since the beginning of time. I am the one who's going to give it to you. The rest you've been promised, the rest you've been looking for in all the wrong places. I'm here to give it to you. That's what he said. How does he do it? By combining the promise with faith. He is the faithful one. Like Israel, he was in the wilderness. He was tempted, but he didn't harden his heart. He rebuked the tempter. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Like Adam, he was in the garden. He was tempted, but he didn't harden his heart. Instead, he prayed, Lord, let your will be done. He is the one who combines the promise with faith. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Literally, he's the finisher of our faith. Our faith comes together Fit for purpose in Him. Not only is He faithful, but He also deals with our lack of faith. You know, when God swore, They shall not enter my rest, that word was for Jesus. That wrath was for Jesus. The door to God's rest was slammed in Jesus' face on the cross. Psalm 95 belongs to a collection of psalms called the Royal Psalms because they express Israel's hope for a Messiah who will come and save. And just before it gets to the familiar today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It says this. O come, let's worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. The sheep of his hand. Do you recognize the one who's calling us? God isn't a grumpy schoolmaster looking for someone to punish. He's a shepherd calling to wayward sheep out of love and care, out of a deep desire to protect and nurture, a heartbreaking desire to protect and nurture and gather in. He's a good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd calls to his sheep and he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden Is light. The yoke is a symbol of work. It is the work of resting in Christ, trusting in His work and not your own. This work is easy. This burden is light because He is gentle and humble of heart.
7: And if you let Him,
9: He will give you rest for your soul. Do you see why Jesus? offers a better rest. Not better by degree, better by category. Holidays come to an end. Weekends are always, inevitably, I don't need to tell you, followed by Monday. Parties come with a hangover. But the love of a God who lays down his life for you is everything you've ever been looking for. It's the end of all your work to prove yourself worthy, to justify your existence. And Jesus has removed every obstacle, even the opposition of your own hard heart. So that now you can delight in God in the same way he delights in you. And that mutual delight will never end. That love relationship is for eternity. And it will never ever cease to satisfy. Your satisfaction in the Lord, your delight in the Lord will only grow. What is the rest God has promised us? That's the question we, we set out to answer. It is the deep soul satisfaction of delighting in God. How do we get it? By trusting in the perfect person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. He was faithful, and he dealt with our faithlessness on the cross. We entered into rest when we first believed. We will enter into an unimaginable rest, soul rest, when we celebrate with Jesus for eternity. Right now, we strive. We work to enter into rest. It's not a work that earns our salvation, quite the opposite. It's a work to accept that we can never earn our salvation. It's a work to trust in the one who has. Why is it a work? Well, as Herman Bavinck said, there is nothing more difficult for man than to be saved by grace and to live on gifts. Ours is a striving to combine the promise with faith, faith in Jesus Christ. And so the author to the Hebrews calls to us, and he says, Today, if you hear his voice, today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of your faith. Don't put your faith in your faith. Jesus died for your lack of faith, for the fickleness of your faith. Put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. And we have to do that today. We have to put our faith in Jesus today and every day. Because I wouldn't be preaching this passage if I didn't preach it as a warning. It is a warning. Today the good shepherd is calling you forward on your journey home. You hear his voice. Verses 11 to 13 of chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, warn us that his voice, the voice of God, the word of God is living and active. Hearing it today is the very thing that will leave you naked and exposed on the day of judgment. If you reject it, if you ignore it, if you harden your heart and you will not listen, if you are indifferent. On that day, on that day, the sheep will be gathered around the shepherd for An eternal Sabbath of celebration. But the goats. Will be. Left exactly where they are. On the outside. Restless. Wanderers. Forever. Let's pray. Father please will you bring our restless wanderings. To an end. Help us to come home. And delight in you. Today as we hear your voice. Give us ears to hear. Give us soft hearts. Help us to trust in your son. The Lord Jesus Christ. We can only bring this prayer. And our plea. In his precious name. Amen. Go well everybody. Have a good week. In the Lord. And we'll be back with you next week.
10: I've got some exciting news for us. It's Outreach Week from the 28th of June to the 5th of July. Outreach Week is something we do every year, and it's a week where every ministry devotes all their attention to outreach. Keep an eye out for some of the events that are going to be coming up over Outreach Week, and why not invite some friends and family? Now, I know what you're thinking. How can I invite friends and family to a service that is online? Well, I'm going to show you how to host a watch party on Facebook. Let's have a look go to www.facebook.com select groups on the left of the page select create new group and create a group that you will invite your friends to choose a privacy setting then select the friends who you want to invite to Outreach Week 2020 remind your group to come join you a few minutes before the service starts at 9.30 on your Facebook group select the bar under create post Select the three dots at the bottom right of the screen, and select Watch Party. Then search Christchurch Midrand, scroll down our videos until you find our service for that Sunday. Click Next, click Post, and the Watch Party will start. By selecting the video on your group's feed, the video will enlarge before you, and you'll be able to see those who are watching the video with you, and you'll be able to interact with them via the comment section on the right. This is a wonderful way to watch the video with your friends and family, and afterwards you can chat with them about the service. So that's the end of the video. Why don't you go now and organize your own watch party and help us with Outreach 2020.